Oh, oh yes, the map report? Yes, I've listened to them for years. And they still stink. I kid, I kid. But seriously, it's not very good. Let my home back in Omaha. See if I can make it out in the world. And I got as far as Wichita. Suddenly I wasn't sure anymore. Lost all my friends in Los Angeles. I'm not welcome in New York But I must stop back in Omaha Where the fans, they always crying out for Alright, in that case, welcome to Metaport number 113 Wanted to prove it to my family It's not April 1st, so it's not April 1st I'm kind of watch my disappointment with your welcome there. That was kind of disappointing. It was just like, welcome. Come on. Come on. We have a higher standard here. Welcome to the There we go. Okay. That was the light plane welcome. I'm not feeling well. I, I will admit that I am. I am. I've been destroyed by a cold, a bad cold. I've been. I've used up like I've destroyed 12 trees just today on the basis of the tissues I've had to go through. Well, I've destroyed cotton fields because of this, and I apologize. So uh, I am a little sick, but we're all here. Uh, story, uh, first of all, the normal crew: uh, Russ, Clea, myself, Greg, and of course, Story uh, again is with us because Story has been visiting Russ in Los Angeles on his triumphant farewell West Coast tour. So um, yeah, so Russ uh, packed in a bunch of people into his place yesterday. I had at least uh, what 150 people I think you had in to to watch his farewell concert. So yeah, think? there you go. Exactly. Yep. 150 yep. people. The emu was there, sort of rocking out, flapping <laughs> swings. The throng. Great. Moving back and forth. Yep, absolutely. I wanted to mention because you were we were talking about this yesterday. You were looking for an inflatable emu, right, or an emu costume. You were looking for something like that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I was expecting Russ to take this one. Um, yes, we were. <laughs> Sorry, I'm That's eating fine. a giant bowl of beige food right now, so I'm <laughs> sort of happy to post at the moment. Did you, did you okay. say a giant bowl of beige food? Yes. Um, what I decided that mean? to make tortellini and bananas. I see. Olive um, oil. Well, that's, also... well, that's beige. All right. Well, yeah. Mm -hmm. but so I was going to say, if anybody knows about where we can get an emu costume or, you know, some kind of an yeah. inflatable, inflatable emu, emu. That would be And great. get it to overnight mail um, and that overnight kind that delivers it about seven days in the past. Because we probably needed about seven <laughs> days before you could possibly be listening to this episode. Okay. So, yeah. So if you could do that, so, yeah. that would be great. That'd so if nice. you have time travel access, please use it. <laughs> use it for emus. Come on, that could like be we're not going to use inflatable emus in the future. Give me a break. There you go. So how has the magical mystery tour uh, gone for you thus far, Story? Are you enjoying LA as much as you always do? Your love for the city of angels. Um, you know, I do. I mean, I I do have this sort of special uh, relaxation. You know, unlike most people, I look at LA as a place to sort of go and relax and veg out and um, not worry about things as much, whereas most people see it as pretty much exactly the same thing. So, um, but yeah, uh, <laughs> it's um, it's what I do. So yeah, I've had had a long train of friends in Southern California and no exception now. And, uh, yeah, just spending some time. I was just going to say it's not LA. It's actually Russ's apartment. True. It's true. Which is basically the same thing. It's an LA free zone. Yeah. <laughs> Russ's apartment is the same thing as LA. So if, if you went to like Minneapolis, but Russ's apartment was there, it would be as if you were going to LA from your point of view. Well, no, I think it would, well... It'd be like he was going to Minneapolis. What a stupid question, Greg. No, because it's Russ's apartment. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to go with there's no, walls. there's no walls, so whatever city he's in... No, there's walls in Russ's apartment. That's all there are in Russ's apartment are walls. Small little walls with stars. I'm a living chameleon. Them. Wherever I live takes right. the shape of the city right. that it exactly. resides. Right. So unlike everybody else who lives in a city and adopts the mannerisms of that city. <laughs> Right. He's both the city and an oasis from the city. I see. He's that's it's an academic book. You both are and are not an LA resident. That's pretty right. impressive. Right. 
Yeah, and and uh, Greg's right. Russ has built a whole lot of walls in here. There's actually cheese at the end of the series of walls that I've <laughs> found. So, and I, fortunately, I found the cheese on the second day, and so I haven't starved yet, which is very exciting. I've oh, had to sort good. of ration it out to myself in little tiny chunks, but it's been good. Don't tell me he's making you eat cheese every day. It's like yes, some... <laughs> every day. It's like, cheese um, and wine. And you would not believe fondue. the number of uh, you know Christmas ornaments that uh, have accumulated. <laughs> have yes. Russ's walls. Exactly. Okay. If you find yourself on a mountainside, you're in trouble. The uh, you know the album The Who Tommy, where everyone has to put on a blindfold and like cover their ears so that they can't hear anything, so they can all yes. have the experience of Tommy. Yes. Yeah, I kind of put people through that experience when they okay. come to the. Uh, so they can understand the tortures you've been through, yeah. that you've survived. Exactly. Absolutely, and only can they know what it's like to be the Laser Falcon. Right. <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, so. I think it's only fitting that you make your friends go through that for you. It's like a cleansing ritual. Yeah. And what could be better than enforced empathy? I mean, that's like <laughs> the best way to feel empathy is like at the, you know, foot of a jackboot. That's great. I can't Fantastic. understand you. No, you do. No. Exactly. Do you feel it now? Do you feel what I'm feeling? You will empathize. Yeah. Oh, my God. That's pretty funny. Well, you know, I want to go back to the laser fucking thing for a second because uh, on the MepReport blog, which all of you guys should be checking out at MepReport.com. The MepReport blog, Russ posted about um, uh, this thing that Aubrey de Grey, who we've talked about before, I think, on the show, is this expert in aging and who says that people will be able to live for a thousand years or whatever. And Russ raised an interesting question, uh, which was, if we are going to live for a thousand years, what the hell are we going to do? Because apparently some people don't know what to do with, like, extra time. You know, like, they can – and I think this is probably true. Like, we, we're, we're sort of on a daily basis. We have a certain number of hours per the day that we know we don't really have necessarily anything specific to do. We can kind of allot, you know, X amount of hours for leisure time. And then on a week basis, we can allot days for leisure time. On a month basis, year basis. So what are we going to do when we have literally centuries without anything specific to do? I don't, you know? I don't understand this. I, I, I don't know. Maybe I shouldn't engage in this discussion i've never been someone that understands anyone that says they i'm bored i don't know what to do well uh, you know the, the world even Russ? for a thousand years oh. has 50 <laughs> million mean, things you could do is this because you've been toiling all your life or because you just find everything captivating and scintillating and can't imagine not wanting to do a million things at any given time no because even if like as long as I have a TV or a book or someplace I can go and walk around. I mean, if if you're going to tell me that I'm going to live like the the last like 800 years in a box. Mm-hmm. Well, well imagine being <laughs> imagine right, being right. 150 years old, and mm-hmm. you know your general state of body composition in that situation. No, no, and no, because he says it, that it all decreases. Right. That. See, it, he claims that it's not that way. No, he claims, You've been drooling for about 30 years. You have 200 more years of drooling. <laughs> You're on your seventh pair of teeth, and all you can do over them is drool. All right? Are you bored or not? Bored or not? Bored. Yeah. I love, I love how stories like people can live now between 80 and 100, right, with, you know, one, maybe two sets of teeth. But when you get past 100, all of a sudden you have six more pairs of teeth. Like if you get to 200 every year, it's like new pair of teeth. Oh, my teeth fell out. Oh, well, my teeth. He's, oh, he's my imagining teeth. that we'll have better health care in the future. And we slowly easy. evolve into barracudas as we become hundreds of years old. <laughs> no, the opposite. We become gumless wonders who can't, like, chew everything. Everything goes back to no, baby food. 19 rows of teeth and the ever-enlarging jawline. Right, that's why, right, right. That's why there's six dentures is six rows of teeth. And because, exactly. as we know, evolution works in 50-year cycles, not, you know, tens of thousands of years. So natural selection accelerated times 10. <laughs> no, actually, actually, I don't think it works in tens of thousands of years. How well, long sure. does it work? Evolution takes... Evolving right now. Yeah, no, no, no. I, I, I looked that up, Greg. I don't, no, evolution uh, takes like 50 centuries or something crazy. Something crazy? You're We've crazy. all been there for about that long to watch it happen. So when do you... Do it? <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I, I'm sure there's like a, a, a st- like a formula or something like that that tells you how long it takes, like how fast, and I, and I bet it's it it's varies. Like the half life of uranium two thirty eight, like every once in a while something splits and we become different. Yeah, and I bet it, I bet it varies per species. You know, obviously if the species is less advanced, like maybe it, um, it changes more often, or less often. I don't know, something that would make sense biologically if I actually 
had understood biology. For many species, humans included, evolution happens over the course of many thousands of years. Oh, well, that's Although not 50,000. There are cases in re quickly reproducing life forms like bacteria and fruit flies where Thank evolution you. can be seen happening in a matter of weeks for the bacteria okay, and many me? months of flies. So if you're a fruit fly and your basic, what you have is assets are wings and a, you know, 20 second well, lifespan, that was, that's... you can evolve to have like a 25 second lifespan. You're like, this is, well, we used to have more as you have more. Remember think back it, in the it, day when we lived 10 it, seconds? Is more you have further to go, right? You have like, there's so much to evolve, to develop. Right, right. So you have much more possibility when you're, you know, us, and we've whew, developed so much. I mean, there's, <laughs> how do you, how do you better us? I how mean, do you just, better work? Yes. Just so little that actually needs to be tweaked. It's a good it, – it, Clea makes an excellent point, and uh, I think that <clears throat> one thing – I think if you're the fruit fly, you have to be looking at yourself. You know at the end of sometimes the half of a basketball game where people say that such – you know, a team is ahead of another team, but the team that's behind, they say that such and such a team has to be pretty happy that they're only trailing by this score. I think if you're the right. fruit fly, you have to feel not happy at halftime that you're trailing the humans by about six quadrillion evolutionary points, right? Good like thing the we don't have fly, any feelings. Well, that's right. They have to evolve into those, so I guess it all works out. Yeah. <laughs> Clearly, you haven't been to Fruit Fly Empathy Camp, Clea, where <laughs> the fruit flies, you know, Can carry you, you off. The fruit fly, is like, the the fruit fly doesn't have time to be sad. The fruit fly is just like, man, I wish I wasn't a, oh. you know, that's as far as it ever gets. The day Remember the fruit before? flies became conscious was uh, not a happy day for them. They're like, Jesus, we're getting the short end of the stick. I remember when we did the fruit, fruit fly experiment, and... Uh, I think we got like the only snow that like we'd ever seen like in the last 10 years in Seattle and it got too cold and all of our colonies of fruit flies died and so none of our experiment we weren't able to do any of our experiments which is the real tragedy not the loss of the fruit flies but the fact that the evolu that your experiments didn't work yeah <laughs> 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 oh, there's a heavy dose fruit fly empathy camp coming down in your future. I can, I can feel it already. And the fruit flies a week later remember. They're like, you remember the blizzard of Ot six? That was last week. Yes, yeah, so that was a tremendous blizzard. And then the ancient peoples. Well, they're uh, all dead, Greg. Oh, I know. Well, that's true. Well, they must have written records. <laughs> ancient spirits of dead fruit flies are around guiding the lives of living fruit flies. Fruit there fly prophets. They outnumber them by about a quadrillion to one. <laughs> I mean, if there's ever been a good case for, you know, complete reincarnation, like local, same planet reincarnation, it's got to be fruit flies. Think of how many souls they're burning up, just like empty souls. Oh, I'm born. Oh, I'm born. Oh, I'm born. It's not, it's not good. It's not a good, efficient yeah. use of running a universe. Maybe Soul recycling. Maybe they're just continually aware that their life force is turning off and on like a light switch, and they're just like, I'm alive. I am nothing. I'm alive. I'm nothing. Just of the cycling of it. That would Why be does it crazy. sound like a whole, the Simpsons episode? Well, light goes on, light goes off, light goes on, light goes off, light goes on. Well, what I like, how would, how would the universe? I mean, how would you, as a fruit fly, do anything that would then mean you could advance on to the next higher species? I mean, what's a good fruit fly? Like, what's a, a successful fruit fly life? Like that you really. Right, and what's bad and karma ready for to a fruit be fly? A, uh, like a horse fly, you know. That's well, all. It's all relative. We were actually um, having a board gaming night a couple nights ago, and we had brought up the uh, the discussion of the movie Defending Your Life, mm -hmm. in yeah. which the main test that they give to human beings is how they've dealt with issues of fear in their entire lives, and how you've dealt with fear determines like where you go in the next. I life. loved that movie. Yeah. So, and I mean, and again, they had more advanced speed or you know more advanced beings than we were, which were the people that had gone on to advance into the other parts of the universe once they die. So for fruit flies, you know, it's like whoever found the biggest pile of shit relatively to where luck. they live. No, like no, they're, no, they're, no, no, no. No, it can't – doesn't it have to be something like that consciously that you bettered yourself? It can't just be something random like that you were able to find the bigger pile. I mean – it has to be something that you do to... Well, they have a listing. I just found this, um, that they've done a study that shows that a low-calorie diet lengthens the fruit fly lifespan. Okay. So basically, so if you could that, be not if you can be a non-obese fruit fly, fruit fly that doesn't you know go for seconds, maybe. <laughs> what is the BMI index <laughs> for a it's fruit to go fly? On and be a horse yeah. fly? The scary thing is, is that every time they do one of these studies, then they publish them as if that knowledge were immediately applicable to human beings. They're like, well, yeah, we've increased the lifespan of ringworms, and so therefore <laughs> we're yeah. going to splice this gene, and everyone's going to live to 300 years old. And also, 
those same scientists will tell you that if you have a low calorie diet and you live hungry all the time, then you have a tendency to increase your lifespan. Yeah, no, it's true. They, they really, yeah, they do this and, and they Russ, they I think you're more, more influenced by that than anyone, though. <laughs> I can't help that I'm hungry all the time. <laughs> but, like, you're also the one who wants to live forever and it's constantly, like, taking notes. Like, okay, do what now? Okay. Yeah, fruit so flies. it's a good, okay. uh, good thing that I know where the advice is coming from. It's like, okay, well, this is from fruit flies, so let's take a grain of salt with that. <laughs> Studies on humans are worth a little bit more. Take it the, with a small piece of feces. Yeah, in the immortality it. handbook. But that's the problem is that you dismiss the fruit fly, and by doing that, you're ignoring some serious ways of making your life longer just because you have this bigotry against fruit flies. Well, you I know, don't get that, spell. though, because cause American studies show that you, if you're – not obese, but in that kind of moderate amount, just a little bit heavier than normal, you live longer. Right. Yeah. So how do you? How are you going to get to that that point uh, if you're eating a low calorie diet? I mean, this is the problem with statistics: is that you know people who are like that, compared to people who are deathly thin, um, are just more likely to be in a circumstance where they're going to die because they may live in a world country where they have no food, and so therefore. <laughs> They're starving to death, and their life expectancy ends up being way lower. And you know, it doesn't it's not really informative. But You're saying it's correlational, but yeah, no, no, no. But these are studies that take all that into consideration. They do they, have controls. You they know. have they they're controlled studies. They say all of the other aspects of these individuals are the same, except Absolutely. for this body weight. Right. They have the same name. They live in the same house. It's a very crowded exactly. house where it's they run the study. It's a very crowded house. You know, it's it's a reality. Yeah. Filled, filled with the souls of the fruit same flies. parents, the same children, everything's the same. It's all the same. Isn't it strange that for identical twins that they aren't all kidnapped by the scientific community for studies? <laughs> like, at some point, they'd be like, we're not going to get a better chance. You know, they're not going to let us clone people. We need to kidnap all the identical twins and make one the control and the other one be cancer. This injected. is such a good sci-fi plot. They don't have plot. to kidnap I'm them. So, I'm, I'm, I have to log off, guys. I'm right. I'm sorry. <laughs> Oh, you mean so that they could do studies that wouldn't be humane? Well, yeah, well, they have a control. It's just a built-in control that actually accounts for all of those things. And just they'd force every twin to, like, live different aspects of their life. Like, you will be right. on the placebo, and you will get the fruit fly gene that makes you live 20 years longer, we think. Right, because Find they do out. use twins in numerous studies, but you're saying you want them to be kidnapped them so they can do inhumane stuff that no one has to know about <laughs> until they get this study. And Allegedly, these studies are voluntary, and that's just not going to progress science as fast as we right. want it to. So right. that's not good anymore. Maybe this is actually the reason this may be the reason that in vitro fertilization has taken off so much and like all of these fertility things that create twins and octuplets, it's like a secret plot mm -hmm. to make sure that there's a, an incredible excess, yeah. like the octuplet mom, an incredible excess of genetically identical material on mm -hmm. which to do tests. I think yeah. this is part of a larger conspiracy that we've just unearthed on the MEP report. Oh, you know what? And maybe, maybe she's actually a really nice, sane person but the media coverage has made it look like he's insane. She's insane so that when they do nasty studies to her and her kids, we'll all kind of go, well, you know. Well, she's well, octomom. Yeah. She's a bitch anyway. She's crazy. She just wanted attention. It's also desensitizing us, right? So that that way it'll come to the point where when kidnappings of twins happen, we won't care anymore. It's like, should we do an Amber Alert? Uh, so just a bunch of twins. Okay. You know, Isn't like, everyone so... who's an octuplet just the kids of someone who's irresponsible? I'm sure the state would handle them more responsibly. <laughs> it's fine. Oh, yes. No, more septuplets disappeared. Oh, oh boy. Yeah. Who's the last set of twins you know that grew up living a life outside of a scientific community? Come on. It's true. <laughs> When was the last time you heard about, like, you know, a university professor and a, and a professional attorney having octuplets? Like, that never happens. It's always some people who live in a shack who just, like, ate a whole bottle of fertility pills and are <laughs> idiots. And also went to the doctor and got in vitro fertilization in, in both ovaries and both eggs at the same time. And, like, sloping tubes are all messed up and crowded. So I got a dozen eggs at the store and got them impregnated, too. It's all good. Say, as Russ just, like, cuts large swaths through scientific knowledge it's like you know a bottle of fertility pills that you just go anywhere and get and then everything like each ovary is somehow in vitro fertilized russ that doesn't sound right oh it's all pills and things yeah, like, he's a science guy man he's a science guy just because you don't understand the medical terms he's using greg i know mean... i'm sorry it is above my head could you talk in more layman's terms russ rather than yeah, a explain bottle of ovaries pills? to greg can you, no can you explain shack back up i just want to know about shack first what's a shack I think that Russ should do the sex uh, ed talk. 
when Cinnamon gets older, old enough. There you <laughs> I'm go. Sorry. I think he'll do a very good job. I'm glad that that's been recorded for posterity, so we could go back to that later on. Remember when you said Rush should do the sex talk? Now listen, <laughs> little Kenny. Sometimes when a man and a woman they want to make lots of money off the science guys, they swallow all the fertility pills that they get from the store, and then they put a bunch of uh, male balls in the woman's elbows, and they make lots of the extras, and then you sell them off. Oh God. That's actually a perfectly safe sex talk. All Cetamine will know is that sex leads to confusion, and that'll keep her. That'll be fine until she's 20, and then she'll start. That's what I'm talking about. Lots of pills of some kind. Do you have any pills? (laughs) (laughs) It involves elbows, women's elbows or something. I don't really, I don't know the the details. Uh, That's funny. Well, you know. I I was also, I liked the Forrest Gump uh, accent. Yes. That's one of Story's favorite accents, by the way. Story loves that accent a lot, the Forrest Gump accent. Yeah, that was like an even dumbed down. I don't even know if that was straight up Forrest Gump. That yeah. was just was like a big guy who lives a couple blocks down from Forrest. <laughs> well, okay, so I want to I want to back up on that evolutionary track because uh, I was thinking about this when I was logging on today. Oh, we backed up, Greg. You, trust yeah. me. <laughs> I want to keep following because we back up. up. <laughs> <laughs> Weird um, <laughs> mutant Doc Uplet baby ideas coming out of this podcast right now. So I want to ask about the uh, on the sort of evolutionary side of things. Can someone explain to me? I, I said that I was sick before, and can someone explain to me what the evolutionary benefit of feeling like absolute crap is? Like I can understand the importance of having like you know extra mucus that you blow out of your nose so you get rid of the bacteria. Like I guess I can understand that. Why do you have to feel like garbage? Like what benefit is it? Is it like so that Russ when you're running from the wolf? Russ and I were just talking about this today because Russ has also been feeling kind of cruddy with his knee that he blew out and all this other stuff. Right. And we were talking about like the Which euphoria that I get. Which about, by the way. That might have something to do with why it might still feel. But no, it's it's so that you don't overexert yourself. It's, it's like why those commercials – for um, pain medication is so stupid where they're like, well, I'm not going to let pain stop me. Even though I broke my leg, I just take these two little pills. Then I can take a bike up a mountain. I mean, it's evolutionary. You're supposed to tell you, you know what? You're not feeling well. You should don't relax. Don't go up a mountain don't, on a bike. Don't go up. Put the bike down, Greg. Take it down. You know, so, you, so the, all your energy I, can be used to get yourself better. Hurt, but then I took these pills, <laughs> and now I can put my hand over the stove all day, and it doesn't hurt me. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> so, Story, you were saying you were talking about this. And, and yeah, so, I mean, I, I attribute it to euphoria because, you know, my life is all about finding highs and lows and alternating between them as quickly as possible. <laughs> yes, so, you know, uh, one of the big values I have, down. like, my favorite part about getting migraines is that you have this euphoric feeling when you get over them of, like, because by the time, usually by the end of a migraine, I've just adjusted of, like, this oh is what God. life is like now. I have oh, okay. a spike that's been driven through my forehead. You've and so, you know, it's like okay that's fine i can live with this uh life is miserable and then like it starts to go away and you're like oh my god i forgot that i could feel so good i i my head is not in pain this is incredible and you know russ was having sort of a euphoric moment of like walking is exciting and new again and so you know i think i think there's something to be said for the appreciation that we get from you know my vantage point of course which is that things are designed in an intelligent way that uh that's that's the real essence of why we feel bad to give us contrast and appreciation for what we do have when, hmm, when it comes okay. back I, I, I mean i think also it's good that we slow ourselves down and and i agree with that i think oh, i appreciate that yeah we're we're going through i mean if the economy has basically been on painkillers for you know 10 years and that's the entire oh, problem can we talk about the t-bill now. thing what what's the deal with the t-bill thing the, t- the what i was listening T-bill? to npr the other day and they said that um that T-bills are actually – they've discovered that T-bills are a form of the hedge fund, like the trickle-down. What, what, what the hell is it, a T-bill? I'm called? sorry. For, for... A T-bill? It's, it's a treasury bill. It's a treasury It's like yeah. what the guy in the Monopoly game with the monocle and the top hat does to make money that nobody knows. <laughs> you know, Thank you, Russ. Rich on Uncle Penny Banks. Yeah. Okay, okay, let me backtrack. You know the, what happened the guy – got caught that he had been paying off what's it Bernie called? Bernie off the pyramid scheme. Pyramid the whole, scheme. Yeah, okay. yeah. Pyramid scheme. Ponzi scheme. They've, yeah. The Ponzi scheme. Yeah. These peop, 
Ponzi. Ponzi. It's Ponzi. the same thing as a pyramid right. scheme. Right. That's Ponzi. what I'm saying. There are the, there's this guy, there's this hey. researcher. I don't know what, I don't remember what university he's at, but his entire focus, focus is Ponzi schemes. He's created a formula, and they've discovered that T-bills are a Ponzi scheme. That's wow. back, back since Alexander Hamilton first created, created it, the government has um, – been doing a Ponzi scheme, and it's going to finally come out. And like China, I get is like has lost everything or something because they've bought like it's going to be like this huge thing. But I don't know if it's true. But, but that's see, what it was on. It was on NPR. But this is the thing that I, I think this that is where I'm going to go. Al- I'm going to go along with story. I have a feeling story is going to agree with me on this part. This is basically a huge, massive reset button because at some point it's going to become clear that no one can pay back anybody else, and everyone's just going to be like, "All right, zero it all out, start from uh, start from scratch." Well, I'm starting. Right? I'm starting to feel bad that we laughed at people like you know your great your grandmother, who uh, who put her, all her money in a mattress because she was ra- you know raised in the depression. We laughed at that, saying, "Oh, she could have made so much more money if she had like." Put yeah, but she could have because other people believe in this ridiculous Ponzi scheme. So as long as they do, like I mean, it's all funny money, right? I mean, it's all based on what we mm. value. Just don't be the last person to ask for your money back. Exactly. You, the, the problem is always the last person in the pyramid scheme. It's well, not you know, the first actually, you, actually, that's true because he did say in the end, which, which is, oh, actually, you guys will appreciate this. He said at the end of the interview that you have to diversify. Now, usually when pe- people like this say diversify, you're thinking a little bit in stocks, a little bit in high risk, a little bit low risk, a little bit of mutual funds, right? No, no, no. What he said diversify is he's like, well, have a little bit in a Ponzi scheme, have a little bit in a gambling, have a little bit in lottery, have a little bit. He literally said this like, like steal a little break some kneecaps for another part you know like, exactly. you, like you that, know? That, he, launder he saying, a little for a drug lord you know yeah. it's all good yeah, he's, yeah. he said like you lots put of a ways to make money he said you put a little bit money in the lottery with the possibility <laughs> you might get something back you put this a little bit tremendous. money in a ponzi he said just don't put everything in one button so what think bucket so when one falls you're not yeah i love how he's like just put everything in a bunch of illegal schemes he's like that's do what... everything this way because that's what this is well, i guess it's all legal that's awesome but i mean he said, thing like... is if you get brought up on charges for any of the things then you have all this information about all these other ongoing investigations that you can trade your way down for jail time and that you know you have the information it takes no. to get you out of prison he wasn't saying do a ponzi oh. scheme he was saying put some money <laughs> in a ponzi scheme that someone else is doing. i'm going to ignore your explanation and just say that he said do a ponzi scheme because yeah. that's much much more fun I'm going to just say that he researched and, and said more you profitable, should do it. seriously. And then exactly. he also said do, put some money. So you, so you gambling, lottery. Yeah. He, he, th- did that you realize – Does this guy realize that – so basically, every oh, al- gambler is anonymous. Every gambler is an alcohol anonymous person ever. His name is Bob Madoff. I don't know. <laughs> no, no his name is every guy who shows up at a gambler's anonymous meeting. Isn't this the life of every gambler? Is like first it was just the horses. Then I couldn't stop playing poker. Then I went to highlight. Then I started gambling. Then I did. You know, I mean, doesn't that describe like every other Law and Order episode? Is like a person who lives exactly the life this guy advocates. Also, it doesn't make this all of the people that have ever gone to gambler's anonymous meetings feel really stupid because they realize they could have been investment bankers this whole time and lived on the same exactly. thrills and made like legitimate incomes for years before it all came crashing down. Hi, my name is Bernie. I'm an investment banker. Hi, Bernie. I'm at the track. I could have been trading derivatives, man. <laughs> same thing. Same game. If well, only they put colored numbers on the derivatives and had them on the light-up board, it would all yeah. be fine. Hey, I want to point something out here. If you recall, you guys, in the midst of your incredible poker run a few years ago, decided that you were going to invest in the stock market because you said, and I quote, it's like a higher-stakes game of poker. So this is exactly yeah. what you both yep. thought of it. That's true. So, you know? Hey, I I'm mean, up, man. I'm up. Don't talk to me. I've made money in the last year in the stock market. In the stock so. market? Yeah. Well, th- there you so. go, then. Yeah. yeah, see, I just, I mean, uh, you know, but I've always said that this stuff is kind of, that that's the issue, right, is that it only has value so long as everyone thinks it, have value, thinks it has value, so all we have to do is just reset this whole business, and, you know, it, that's basically and what that cancellation. And everyone will make exactly the same mistakes again. Well, but see, that's a, in a way, it only becomes a mistake so long as the debtors, like I read, and I was listening to a guy talking about this, um, they only make mistakes so long as the debtors still want to connect still want to collect, or the creditors, I guess, want to collect from the debtors. But the truth is that when the creditors decide they don't need or want the money anymore because they know they're not, they're not going to get it, then the debt ceases to become a problem, right? Like it's not like – and that continues all the way up the line because it's not like I'm giving you 
like resources and those resources allow you to do things. It's not like I'm giving you, you know, oil or, you know, water or some kind of energy source. I'm literally giving you something which, (laughs) right, that's a bad idea. I'm giving you something which equals something else. So as long as I'm giving you something which equals something else, you can at a certain point just cancel it out and say, well, you know, that's fine. We're not going to collect it anymore and go back to the beginning, right? Because that's all money is. Money is a proxy for something else. What happens to the people who are all creditors and not debtors? Like, for example, me. Um, I'm just well, host. I mean, it's, it sounds all nice and well, and then I lose everything and become But you're not host the person above you who yeah. you would owe money to also doesn't do this, theoretically. I don't owe money to anyone, though. That's the problem. Well, you do Everyone owes you pay rent. me money. <laughs> I mean, don't no, you? because they would... Okay, so the reset would take a month or not? Because if the reset is instantaneous, then I still owe rent in a month. Right. I don't I don't because I'm living in the apartment, just get grandfathered in and like, okay, you now own the apartment by common law. Right. Under your scheme. It's like Hmm. the people who own it still own it. Right. Or the bank owns it instead because, you know, or no, they get it. But when you reset, it just rewards debt, which is like the worst human behavior that we have aside from violence is collecting debt. So see, but I don't think it does reward debt because it doesn't continue the imbalance. Like because if you reset, then basically you would once again be able to start making money by proxy. And, you know, then you would be able to get enough money to pay off your rent. But the thing is, you wouldn't have anything else that you'd have to pay because everything else would have been reset. Right. So it's so right. It it punishes people who are the most fiscally conservative and rewards people who went out and got 27,000 unsustainable things. And then it's like, now you get them all free because you signed an agreement to try to get them over 30 years. And now we're going to waive the 30 years, give them to you free and hope that you do more reckless, ridiculous behavior in the future because we call that an economy. Well, right? to play devil's advocate, I think the person that it actually rewards or the thing that it sort of actually says is that people who were involved in a false system of valuation using money as a proxy for something else should not have been surprised when eventually that system was no longer going to work anymore. And to be, you know, sort of crediting somebody else with stuff that doesn't actually exist. It's not like you say, okay, I need you. I I need food every day and I let you stay on my land and work my land so you can give me food. And then the guy doesn't give you food and you starve. It's, I let you stay on my land, you sell the food and then give me money for that food. But you don't technically need the money for the food if you could just get the food directly. So at the point where you benefited by being a proxy owner as opposed to a real owner, it seems to me that you shouldn't be surprised then when the system falls apart that you don't have any money available to you. So I think the argument would be it's your own fault for being involved in a creditor system in the first place, which is why I don't do anything with the stock market, by the way. So it's my fault that instead of putting it under the mattress and getting laughed at by you guys, I put it in a bank and got 2% interest. Well, I mean, if you got the two percent interest and then got the money the hell out of Dodge before any all this happened, then I guess it doesn't matter. So I should be, if we're living in Greg's world, I should be going to Wells Fargo right now and getting thousands of dollars immediately. Isn't cash also just a system of debt and credit too? I mean, when it really comes uh, down. Sure, I guess I would say sure. that's true. But then so, the faster you can, so what you need to do is go to Costco and buy goods as quickly as possible. Actual goods, you know, like canned goods. I and mean, then I think you should go move from complex. Tomatoes, canned tomatoes, that's the answer. Here's the thing, Greg. If, if we were actually going to get rid of everything and redivide it equally, then I might be up for this plan. If we were, even though I'm like currently, it's currently at a statistical disadvantage for me to go for this. But if we're going to say we're going to eliminate all the money and all the financial instruments and all the ownership and then get everybody together in Topeka, Kansas and, you know, divide up deeds and just sort of cut the country in a big grid and then give it out to people by random lottery then i'd totally be game i'm totally down with that if we're going to actually reset everything from square one i think that but would the be problem fun. is that it's not a total reset is your argument that would yeah so that would be a total reset and that would be good and yeah i mean there's some randomness and luck like one of you gets a square mile in manhattan one of you gets a square mile in alaska Oh, well, but, you know, more or less, that's that's pretty much... That's... But then once you've made that split and you have those random happenstances, aren't you recreating wealth inequalities? Well, you need to reset yeah. every couple thousand years. I mean, you know, yeah, oh, look, William Butler Yates wrote and about like this in the second coming. 
years yeah, of the system. Years, and then once once you restart the system, the people who have the Park Avenue, you know, real estate allotted to them by the socialist system can now barter for way more bananas than the person who doesn't have that. And all of a sudden they start accruing bananas and then trade them for other right. more durable goods like tables. And then they have all the tables and then they're wealthy again and everything right. fails. Which is why currency is, is fail. And but why that's not what would happen, though. Ownership is failed. But you need to remember that when you reset, you don't reset based upon current 2009 theories. Like if you're resetting completely, you would want to go back to the real valuation first, which means you would return to an agrarian economy. So the people who really had wealth would be the ones with like, you know, a couple of acres of farmable land in like North Dakota and whatever. The people in Manhattan would be screwed. Manhattan is like a couple miles wide island with, with nothing on it. I don't concrete. understand why resetting to a socialist economy means that we have to roll back the clock on technology 100 years. Like why does that make no, sense? technology it's like what you rest like what would be valuable i mean if money doesn't have any value anymore and it's just about goods is it going to be the information economy valuable like people would still want to do where they live because that's a value that has nothing to do with cash and information information exchange is another form of currency so having means to do that is just as valuable as having the means to import bananas yeah but isn't information exchange based largely upon this valuation economy to begin with like aren't we always thinking about ways to monetize blogs to get people to notice us and this that and the other thing well, like, here's the question. isn't it I mean, sort of tied up with that in the socialist economy that you're creating are people allowed to start their own businesses or is that all controlled by the state I think I would say that they'd probably be – see, I'm not so much advocating – first of all, I'm not advocating this at all. I'm just playing devil's advocate. Um, I'm not even so much saying that it would be creating a socialist it. – this is, It's the devil. The devil is advocating <laughs> the devil. it. Uh, it's not so much that you're creating a socialist environment. It's that you're, cre- you're sort of resetting and then from the beginning you're letting people sort of open up again, which means you're going to go through the sort of you know goods and bads of a free market economy, but it will be, at least for a time, literally free because it won't be based upon any of these – controls have been put gold in place. is still more valuable than silver, which is still more valuable than copper. It's like all of those evaluations were at some point based on some rational analysis sure. of what the metals can do, and that's why sure. that we pegged currencies to them in the first place. So there's sure. still some things are more valuable than other things, and that's our, the waterfront property is still going to be more valuable than shit in the middle of nowhere. Like that has nothing to do with our economy. Well, that's see, I don't know about that because it depends on what is sort of the farmable land and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, but all those things play into the modern economy right now. It's not like we've forgotten about the difference between arable land and, like, living in a condominium. Like, those are all incorporated into the values that we – I mean, honestly, like, as screwed up as everything is, it is an incredibly efficient way to evaluate things. It's just having everything on the free market and sell for what people are willing to buy it for. Like, that is what determines the values of everything, and that wouldn't change just because you wipe out all the money. It would just affect who has the ability to acquire these things that they everyone still wants, or at least enough people want to set the price at a certain place. I guess so. I mean, I guess I guess part of the argument is that I mean, I, I, I understand that – see, the problem is that, like, the system is self-replicating. Like, fundamentally, the capitalist system is a busted system because it eventually leads to incredible – because it's all based upon profit above all other things. It eventually leads to incredibly uh, – to, to methods of cheating, to monopolistic systems that don't allow for actual market volatility, uh, you know, there's, or market innovation, I should say. Um, you know, eventually, the capitalist system collapses because it's based upon a model which is not sustainable, and that is everyone goes for as much as they can. So I recognize that in doing this, when I say push the reset button, look, if you're playing a computer game and you're playing like a game like Tetris, let's say, right? And Tetris gets faster and faster and faster until eventually you can't handle it anymore and the blocks fill up to the top of the screen. When you press reset, you start playing Tetris again from the beginning, but eventually it's going to get too fast and they're going to go back up to the top of the screen. Like it's not like that reset button means you will never again lose Tetris. It just means you're going back to the beginning. Which begs the question, why, what is the point of like, okay, we've got this wonderfully flawed system where every 180 Six years, we're going to have to hit the reset button again. Like, why? Yeah, why not come up with something better? Why not? Because our great grandkids deal with it. That why not eliminate all of the regulatory systems completely and eliminate all of the antitrust regulations and all of the constraints and controls and just go forward to the point where the entire world is ruled by Walmart and Google and Microsoft and just see how that works. See how I don't really understand why the the answer is to accelerate the process that is already in place. I'm not because really the sure point is, if those, if those are the natural forces, if that's like where people are tend to go without any governmental control, then maybe that is the natural evolution of economies and hence the natural evolution of the human race. And maybe we're all meant to live under some some form of dictatorship that it's run by Google, like run by, you know, 
the best business people. I don't know. But see, but see, the point there <laughs> is that is that eventually you're going to reach that stage, or theoretically you are. But hopefully, you will have learned some lessons from previous dictatorships, so that it won't be quite as bad the second time around. Yeah. And the maybe, second thing I would say is maybe they're just you know, longer cycles. Maybe that's happened before, and people revolted and burned down all the Google buildings and had to start over again, and ended up doing the same thing. I don't know. But, I mean, the problem is that capitalism doesn't shield you very much from human nature, and human nature is the antithesis of what we're trying to achieve as human beings. So, like, <laughs> that's that's the whole problem. So it's like, look, we came up with this system that seems really simple and obvious because it's what our baser nature is, and why does it lead to us shitting in the woods every 300 years? I don't know. I sure like <laughs> these chains, though. These are great. Yay. Whip but me I mean, less. Like, you can't reset just, the human nature, though, is the problem. Right? No, but like, you have to work very carefully in a structured way over, you know, tens of years, hundreds of years, thousands of years to quell and defeat parts of human nature, which I think in some places we've made progress and in some places we have a long way to go. And capitalism, I think, undermines a lot of the progress that humans are trying to make to overcome human nature. Hmm. Interesting. Or to evolve in human nature, I guess one might I say. I don't like evolution because nature and, uh, like, to me, nature and science, you know, those are things to be gotten away from. So Both nature get away from nature? Well, I mean, yeah, like human nature. <laughs> What's the alternative? To me, yin and yang the alternative should is, be gotten away from. <laughs> philosophical. Wait, I thought and, you, you know, like to live your life at extremes. Now you're saying to live in the happy middle? I don't understand. But there is no middle. Like, what is left? <laughs> like a third non-invented option of like, well, exactly. there's yeah. natural order, and then there's human order, and then there's this third thing that's neither, that we need to be conquered by aliens and live their is way. Is this fruit fly oh. spiritualism uh. story? The, I like how you just conflated human and science. You said there's nature order and then there's human order when I right. said science. The alchemists Humans don't are scientists. Them. Like, <laughs> I, what? No. But so, sorry, what is the third option? They're just linguistic scientists. Like, that's no, what they are. That's a very science-centric way of looking at things. I mean – they they do a, you know they do an analysis of language and an analysis of the world in a scientific manner that's and the point is that they're more rigorous than other people who analyze things in terms of you know religious views which is less rigorous and more myth based and invented you have a very strange worldview. <laughs> but story, like, I mean, I don't, I don't want to get on the religion-science battle again, but I do want to ask, why is nature – I mean, what else – if it's not nature or science, then what is it? What's left? It's philosophy. I mean, it's, a, it's philosophy and morality and contemplation. That's – I mean, that's where I think – you know, I mean, the society that I designed, we basically the main function of it would be thinking. There wouldn't be production particularly. There would be the minimal amount of farming so that people could subsist. And then you have contemplation and thought and the advancement thereof and moral behavior. So, contemplation of the rather – And what would they be bringing other people, other countries? Like why would countries want to – Well, I mean the whole world would do this. So it's not about right. like let's – you know. I mean, it pretty much requires the whole known grouping that you have that you're interacting with being on roughly the same system because, you know, obviously anyone who still maintains a military or maintains something else is just going to come in and wreck things. So you pretty much have to have a, you know, that's, that's where I think we should be headed ultimately. Obviously in stages. It's not like tomorrow we're just going to drop anything. I mean, I don't know. This economy erodes fast enough, and we might be able to pull it off really fast, but I don't think so. To me, I don't, I don't understand a distinction between what you're talking about and how a scientist would drop his own utopia, where everyone just thinks about things and studies and learns of their own accord and does a lot less production. I mean, that seems to me like scientist utopia. Yeah. I mean, I, it's not like no one can do anything sciencey. I just – the way science has been used or manifest, you know, and maybe you can say that's the way everything's been used and manifest. So maybe we disagree less than I think. But, you know, it's been – science has been hand-in-hand hand with production, and the only real purpose of science, with a couple of exceptions, has been to advance, like – Creating well, more and more garbage. That I don't, don't think need. that's the fault of science as much as it's the fault of the economy, and that like yeah, that's the only funding that scientists get are through these, you know, for the most part, are through business opportunities that they make. And yeah. inventing a new toaster is going to get you a lot more utility in your life than inventing a new theory of living. And so, therefore, right. that's more people who are inclined to create such things end up going. But that doesn't okay. mean that 
that the process in itself is, is something wrong with that. That's it's fair. kind of like when I hear people talk about the educational system and they say, well, the educational system is all designed to, you know, get people to, you know, bow down and agree to this sort of corporate philosophy. And, and you know, therefore education is bad. And the problem is like, well, when you run universities and schools and businesses with a board of trustees that com- is composed largely of business people, and when you start basing right. things on the profit motive rather than on the motive of sort of greater, you know, knowledge and learning and searching for the truth truth, that of course you're going to have circumstances where programs are being you know, enhanced or cut depending on how much money they could theoretically bring to the university. But the problem right. is not that education does it because it's education. It's because it is all slave to the same thing, and that is the search for profit. And since everything, in my view, is that the farther we go along in the capitalist system, the more everything becomes subject to the same right. enslavement to profit. So, so why do you want to start over profit, and get back in the same place in two centuries? Well, uh, well, here's the other thing, too. What if we had a chance to reset, and that gave us another 100, 200 years, but this time we have the knowledge of what happened before? Like, we have written history. The, we have some information knowledge, about that. The knowledge that – come on. Come on. People – because we have took the knowledge of the Depression to create a larger depression. That was very well done. Good knowledge. I don't know that we have a larger depression. I'm not sure that's true yet. Uh, you're talking about resetting the entire system, Greg. Well, because I think it's a good idea. <laughs> you're saying happen. we've gotten to the point where the only solution is resetting the entire system, and you don't. You think... shouldn't be arguing with me about this story because your theory is that uh, you know that this is all gonna. I mean, you agree with me, right? That we're heading down the I road. I think it's where... gonna break down. I just think the most idiotic thing. I mean, I think that's why a lot of the measures that have been taken are failing. Is everybody's assuming we will eventually get back to capitalism as usual, and nobody thinking creatively about okay let's jettison this and try something that works like this is i mean my perception of this is that 2008 2009 are the fall of capitalism and that we're having the same thing that people felt that they had when you know the soviet union collapsed and like okay that's the referendum on communism and it doesn't work and i think that's what's happening with capitalism right now and so we will probably get there then but that doesn't mean, okay, let's restart and try capitalism again. That means we need to be creative and do something differently. Well, all right, but here's the point. If you reset and you have the chance, like the game Spore, right, where you have the chance to do this stuff again, if we reset and we go back to the beginning of an economic system, maybe maybe I shouldn't say reset and go back to capitalism. Maybe the argument should just be sort of reset generally, and then you decide which way you want to go, whether it's, you know, capitalism, whether it's a sort of modified socialism, whether it's, you know, some other, you know, that kind of thing. I mean, I don't, I don't see how there's any answer there's no answer until we have evolved enough to not want to screw each other off, you know? See, I think I think the majority of people – I think most people don't want to screw people necessarily. I think the majority of people believe – you know, don't pay attention to when they do screw people. You know, they think that what they're doing has no consequences on others. I think they're, I think if you basically said to somebody – if you put them in a room with somebody and you said, okay, here's this person who doesn't have a lot of money and this money is what they're going to need to pay their rent. Why don't you take the money from them and walk out of the room? I bet, I bet a large group of people, if you gave them that option, would not take the money from and walk out of the room. But if you tell people, oh, you know, here's some people who owe you some money from some debt, so you should ask them to pay their money, I think they'd be happy to do that because you've then depersonalized it, right? It's not this thing that you take from people is going to keep them from getting a house. It's these people owe you money and they made bad financial decisions. This is why everyone loves to demonize, you know, the people, you know, like let's attack people who came in with bad mortgages because, of course, it's the people with bad mortgages who are at fault, not necessarily the people who lured them in with promises of low rates and telling them that everyone must own a house immediately even before you're ready for it and so on and so forth so i think that that's part of the issue is that people don't go out of their way to screw people people just have false information or a lack of information i don't know who said this but i think it's pretty much accurate about the way i think about people is that uh, 10 percent of people are basically good 10 percent of people are basically evil and their other 80 percent will follow who's ever in the majority to whatever ends and i think that a lot of that is just we live in a system that encourages immorality and it curses people to abuse each other and so most people are okay with that because they see it all around them and they don't see any reason why if that's the way that things go that they shouldn't take part in it also well i mean but do you do you think they see it as immorality though i mean do you see that when they do that do you think they feel that they're really doing bad things i don't think they distinguish they just see that this is the behavior and then the selfish self-interest comes in and they know what they want and if they the only way to acquire what they want comes by abusing people. As long as everyone else is doing it, I don't think they have any qualms about it. From you know, a large majority of people, it could be. I mean, I think you know, 
de Tocqueville said, you know, 200 years ago that Americans were the strangest people on the planet because these same people who would do everything they could to sort of steal money from you in a kind of semi-legitimate, allegedly legitimate way, you know, vis-a-vis like business practices and stuff, are the same people who would go out of their way to save people's lives even at the risk of their own life. And he could never understand how people could have that disconnect. And I think that's always been kind of part of the weird thing about Americans. Americans can be very generous and then they turn around and they're extraordinarily selfish. And it's hard for me to understand how they reconcile it, except I have to assume they compartmentalize it. You know, they just kind of say, this is not being bad to people, but this is being bad to people. And so that's that, you know? Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, I think that people are very good at tunnel visioning and denying things that may be obvious if you think about them, but just not thinking about it. I mean, I've never been, you know, I've never failed to be impressed by the ability of the American to not really think about things in their life or what, you know, what the situation is. Like, think deeply about it or think about the implications of like, but doesn't this mean this? Because it's so easy. I mean, it's the same as arguments for violence and why I'm a pacifist. It's like, you can always find something that sounds compelling for the moment to justify doing violence. And someone always has, you know, if you're willing to entertain violence as a possibility, there's always is going to be something if you're considering it as an option that would drive you to violence and as long as that happens then everyone will always be reaching that breaking point at certain times and will always have violence and so the only solution is being as an absolute prohibition so it's you know it's sort of the same thing with mistreating other people through whatever it's like as long as you're willing to say at, at the end of the day if if something looks like but it's my family but I gotta pay for my family and it doesn't matter what whether paying for your family means actually putting food on their table or getting them the 17th TV set or the third, you know, house or whatever it is. It's like that same argument. If I can draw a line to it of, but it's my family and nothing's more important to me than family. And that's all I believe in. And that's what my church tells me. And that's what my government tells me. And so it's my family, you know, and, and you can make those sort of basic personal appeals and it comes down to then, you know, yeah, 90% of people are always going to go for that. And um, so you have to be really sophisticated in the way that you look at the world. And the more that you complexify things and make it harder to be sophisticated enough to keep up with the morality of what you're doing. I mean, it's like the multinational corporation is brilliant because it totally mystifies what a company is doing and what the situation is yep. and what you're investing in and what is actually going on. And, yep. you know, you have restaurants making weapons. You have car companies that are actually banks. You have, you know, all sorts of things. It's like genetically modified food on the stock market. So, you know, it's it's a brilliant tool to get people to not make judgments about things and to just see, oh, it's all hopeless and it's all complicated. So I'll just remember my family and do what's good for them and forget everything else. Yep. I think that's very wise. I think that's very true. And I think that the, but the positive side of what you just said is that the issue is not a sort of basic evilness about human yeah. nature the issue is a well. basic you know ignorance that kind of is at the root of human nature i mean like even if you break it down and you say well really what sort of generating positive momentum is you know in people's lives is well i have to do what's right for my family okay you can argue that that's tribal you can argue that that's too individualistic you can argue that that's not looking at the big picture but i don't think you can you can sit there and i, I find this is problematic sometimes when authors and i've talked about this before write characters that are fundamentally evil and they make them act and they make themselves act as if they are thinking in evil all the time. Like, you know, villains are walking around going, you know, the problem is that I want to kick that baby. Why? Because babies deserve to be kicked. And, and after a while you go, mm -hmm. that's not what people do. Like people who do things that we consider broadly evil, when they're doing them, feel that they have some justification, unless they're sociopathic, but they feel they have some justification to do it, even if they do sort of objectively evil things. So I think it's important to recognize that to begin with so that you can address sort of awareness, like, you know, again, and try to teach truth, try to give more of, you know, ways of thinking as opposed to just saying, well, the problem is everyone is just a piece of crap and that's what, you know, because that, 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 that's not accurate and it doesn't lead to sort of, you know, it's not that people are bad people and want to hurt people, it's that they're ignorant that what they're doing is hurting people and because things are, they've been taught in some cases that if things are too complex, then, you know, they, they can't deal with it anymore, which as we know, humans are capable of thinking extraordinarily complexly, but, you know, everyone tells them, oh, well, that's too complex. 
complicated. So it's a matter of rethinking the way we look at the world, I think, rather than just assuming that people are bad, you know, sort of evil to begin with. Yeah, I mean, I certainly don't think that people are evil. I think people are fundamentally, I think human nature is selfish. That doesn't mean people are selfish or people have to be selfish. It depends on how much you think about things and are educated and are brought up to not just go with your nature all the time. I mean, you know, humans, like the human nature question to me, humans are animals and the closer that we rely on our nature we're relying on being animals and we behave like animals and it's not that animals are total bastards or out to do evil <laughs> like you know animals animals are fine but if you if you watch how animals behave it's pretty selfish they do sometimes look out for their families but it's mostly you know selfish for the individual or selfish for the community and it's not terribly sophisticated so that's why i say humanity's goal is to overcome human nature because we can transcend it with rational thought, which is not something that human that animals engage in particularly. And you know, and that doesn't mean that we, um, you know, do absolutely nothing like animals because we still have bodily functions and things that we're going to have to do. But function, you know, fundamentally, like the way that we can limit being exactly like a tiger in the woods, that would be good. I actually think it'd be kind of cool to be a tiger in the woods. It's not that tigers are evil. You know, that's not that's not my argument by any stretch. <laughs> that, I wish it would be. Can it please be your argument? Exactly, yes. The tigers okay, are evil. devil's advocate. Tigers are evil. Go! <laughs> what you got? Come I on. am an evil giraffe, for I okay. eat more leaves than I should, and the other <laughs> giraffes may die. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> if I wallow in this water, other hippos will not be as cool as I am, and thus I will take the coolness for myself. Exactly. Because nothing says evil like being cooler than someone else. Goddamn. <laughs> and we're back to Los Angeles again. <laughs> Yay! Full circle. Uh, that's pretty funny. So, uh, did you find this uh, article clear? This no. This radio thing? No, I can't find it at all. Well, it's interesting, though. I mean, I guess, you know, I never... I thought th his book was coming out made off with millions, but for some reason I can't find that anywhere, so I don't know. Huh. Maybe you dreamt you should write it from your dream. You could make millions. This could be your own Ponzi scheme. You could just I was listening it. to it on the way back from Costco yesterday. Which is ironic in itself, I think. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Costco membership cards are basically just a Ponzi scheme. <laughs> Seriously, sign up, you get stuff. Yeah. <laughs> That's really all there is to a Ponzi scheme. Wait a minute, everything's a Ponzi scheme. My library card is a Ponzi scheme. I signed up, I got stuff. That's what I'm saying. Have you ever tried to cash out your library card, Russ? Have you? you oh, no. I need to get restitution for something that I don't know what it is. Give me back what I lost. I have a library card. Well, in all this searching, nothing mentioned T-bills, but everything mentioned Social Security as a Ponzi scheme. Oh, definitely. Well, they give it to old people, and it counts on the, you know, the new generation of young people to pay off the debt. That's right. totally a Ponzi scheme. That's easy. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Did you guys hear that the new City Field, the new Met Stadium, uh, they're actually a pair of seats. I'll just give you guys the particulars. Now, these seats call, they're season tickets, these seats cost $40,000 a piece. But currently, they haven't been able to sell these tickets. Now, these are great, great seats. Is that, is that season tickets or per game? No, it's season, yeah, per game. <laughs> $40,000 per game. No, season tickets. It's, so it's $40,000 for the ticket. And they're great seats. I think they're like behind home plate or something like that. They might be luxury box. I don't remember if they're luxury box behind home plate, but they're like great seats. And they haven't been able to sell them because of the previous owner. Now, who do you think the previous owner might have been of these seats? Bernard J. Madoff. It's right. They can't sell Bernie Madoff seats because no one wants to be like, I'm sitting in Bernie Madoff's seats so they they've had to think of all these new ways these are great seats currently owned by an investor um who has decided not to use them now or for the next 30 years or ever really um would you Isn't like it them? Also possible that like they might get repossessed at some point when the new owners have them like oh sorry we have to pay this out to like the 700th ponzi scheme victim who well never but here's the problem the government now owns your seats. <laughs> right. Obama will be in these every other game. But here's the problem, is that Fred Wilpon, the owner of the Mets, lost money in the Madoff scheme. So basically they'd reconstitute it and give it back to the Wilpons. 
Like, I mean, there you go. somebody said you ought to call the, the stadium Madoff Field and see how that goes over. Like, I mean, really. Well, I mean, he talked about how the White House lives way beyond their means. I mean, with the with all of the different the, the, the house and the different parts of the house and the and the Air Force One and everything. And he said that he doesn't believe in conspiracy theories, but you know that there there is there there could almost be you know almost that handshake of when you when you come into office saying. You know, one of the perks is you get to skim off a little bit off the top of this T-bill thing. Hmm. That's huh. interesting. I don't know why I'm not finding this at all. Maybe I did, like, tune in to just someone, some guy's brainwaves Maybe they got something. to this guy. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I mean you might be <laughs> like, the whole Zeitgeist movie conspiracy theory about, like, the Treasury Department and how it's always been a total scam and they just invent money and then they loan it to the government at interest. So no yeah, matter I mean, how much money is in circulation, money. it's always, like, owed back to the Treasury Department at interest and it's just a perpetual system yeah. of keeping the Americans in debt, like, forever and, yeah. and hence a form of slavery. Like, right. yeah. That's the, the conspiracy theory internet zeitgeist type stuff. But that sounds like yeah. what you're talking about. Well, no, I mean it. It may be the same thing, but that's not what he was talking about. But yeah, I've heard. I've heard about that as well. I think that was in that video of uh, of the whole conspiracy of that video that went around that um, the Iraq War was um, all planned out by the Bushes. Remember that movie? To, well, it was the 9/11. Job. Yeah, Fahrenheit 451, or not 451. Listen to me, Fahrenheit 9/11, with that that where Enzeitgeist, where they talked about the idea, yeah, that the Bushes had planned it all out, and there were all these things about the Saudi connections and this and that. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, it's interesting. I've actually interviewed a guy, uh, Minister Faust, who's an author and a, a political activist, and uh, you can hear it actually on Upon Further Review. And he's argued that he thinks the rejection of conspiracy theory, the sort of dismissal of it, has been a sort of conscious effort by mainstream media sources to reduce anything which is searching for the truth. And he's like, you know, this idea that there aren't conspiracies or that conspiracy theories are silly, he's like, is ridiculous. He's like, the reason that the 9-11 trials are happening at all is because of allegedly a conspiracy, unless all 18 hijackers or whatever the number was simultaneously decided and totally unrelatedly to get into a plane and fly them into buildings. Like, by definition that was a conspiracy so he claims that everyone who tries to dismiss conspiracy theories as being sort of crazy nutso tinfoil hat type stuff is actually working against the search for the truth so in other words there's a conspiracy to keep conspiracy theorists down exactly and it's run by fruit flies i don't think people who don't like conspiracy theorists are going to be compelled by this argument <laughs> Let me get this straight. I should believe you now because there's a conspiracy to stop me from believing everything that you said. Yeah, well, that's it. Yeah. It's, it's uh, more to show you how stuff that we sort of all generally accept the 9-11, you know, people generally accept that these people, whoever sort of ordered them, they did a cons- they were involved in a conspiracy, right? So their theory is that's a conspiracy that's legitimate. So it's like basically not all conspiracies are legitimate or illegitimate. That's the theory. There's like their legal statutes against conspiring to commit crime. So we do recognize that the definition of the word is valid and that it can't happen. Like people can conspire. Yes. Right. That can happen. You found it, Cleo? Yeah. Davis logs. It was WNYC.org. Keep this in mind because it's Seriously, very possible the show will disappear down, people, after it's posted. And then eat for lots of what reasons. it's written on. And then keep what you excrete. In and then jar. it'll be safely lodged in a jar within excreta. And then you'll have the notes. Because no one's ever going to take that when they raid your house. Yeah. No one's going to take that shit from Although you. you are more likely to be found guilty as a conspiracy theorist if you keep jars of your own waste in the house. Especially with notes in them, yes. <laughs> However, that might be a good place to store your money now. It is safe. Oh my god. Uh-oh. No, we just found the twist. Listen to this. On the Huffington Post from Andy Borowitz. Yesterday, I impersonated University of Minnesota expert Davis Logsdon on WNYC. After discussing the Madoff scandal, I revealed the U.S. Treasury is also running an elaborate Ponzi scheme selling worthless piece of papers called U.S. Treasuries to unsuspecting investors. And so this was a conspiracy theory. Wow. <laughs> That's why you couldn't find the book, Clea. That's why you couldn't find the book because it's that both. explains it. Because it seems so See, weird. What, that what better like... cover than releasing it as an April Fool's Day thing uh, when it's all true? Made sense, didn't it? The only time the government tells the truth is on April Fool's Day. 
That's so funny. But it doesn't on the own their own website. They don't say. Yeah, they do. Look, well, I borrow, think Andy borrow was clearly a debtor a of some kind. He, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. And look, listen to this, Russ. Comment. It really got me going. Almost in horror, started thinking moving to another country. But I'd like to suggest that people see Zeitgeist the movie and share your thoughts because this prank may be way too close to reality. See, these people are all Mepreport. They're probably they're listening to it now. They already are listening to it. It hasn't like, been obviously. edited or posted. They can hear it right now as we're speaking it. And now our next piece is that by Hawk Lonowitz. That is so funny. I'm glad I wasted all this time. That's so funny. Well, now we know. But, so was was WNYC like pissed off, or were they in on this? Uh, or it probably doesn't matter. Who cares if you piss off an NPR station? What are they going to do? Like not advertise at you? Like what? What, what are their options? They're going to, like, force you to watch, like, forced empathy, but they'll do you, like, forced fun drive. Like, they'll force you to watch the people who are like, and contribute now. That would you'll be get this DVD a pretty for effective weapon, and, actually. Yeah. Forcing you to sit through all the pledge drives, and there's never any program. They just keep promising more program, and like Sisyphus, you're listening for longer and longer. Where's the program? Put on Garrison Keeler, damn it. And all they do is continue to roll and roll and roll with just five more minutes. Please buy a tote bag. Well, before we get ourselves in any more trouble, uh, we actually have reached an hour, so we want to thank everyone for listening, and uh, we should try to get this Andy Barowitz guy onto the show. I think he'd be fun to sort of bring that on. That would be phenomenal. Thing. Yeah, I'll see if I can track him down. That would be pretty cool. Please do. Check out Beverport.com <laughs> your stash is trash. Say goodbye, everybody. <laughs> uh, keep listening. If I were a fruit fly, I wouldn't understand any of this. And you'd be dead by now. Much happier. <laughs> The proceeding was a presentation of the MEP Report, hosted at www.mepreport.com. All rights reserved. In no way should any part of this show be construed as an invitation to buy, sell, or trade flightless birds, or reassemble Voltron. Or at least, not the stupid one cars. Please support the MEP Report by voting for the show at www.vitalpodcast.com, adding the show to your list of favorites at podcastpickle.com, and clicking on the Vote for MEP link on the MEP Report homepage to vote for us at podcastalley.com. Email us at Greg, Russ, Story, or Andy at mepreport.com, and call us and leave a voicemail or a fax at 206-600-MEP1. That's 206-600-6371. And finally, please join the fight to stop the senseless farming of emu plants. It's immoral, it's unethical, and frankly, it's just a little bit gross. Just another day away